0: Hello. I'm Yolanda Brown and welcome to LPO Offstage. This is the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with members of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In today's episode, we're going to get the inside scoop on what it's like to play new music in the orchestra. I'm joined by percussionist Andy Barkley, violinist Lasma Taimina and Mark Templeton, who plays the trombone. Welcome, Lasma. Lovely to see you. Hi, it's really lovely to be here. And welcome back to Andy and Mark. Hi Yolanda. Hello. I'm going to start with a very general question and then we're going to unpick it as we go through. Andy, can you help me? What would you actually define as contemporary or new music in the LPO? Well, it's a bit of a,
1: a funny term because obviously anything that's just been written is new, but there's another term contemporary music. You know, you could write three blind mice now in a different key and it'd be a new piece of music. So Contemporary music is more different from Beethoven and Mozart. It's more avant-garde. It's, from some people's point of view, it's more difficult to listen to. So there's a difference. We, we play new music all the time. If you do a film sessions, all the music's
0: new. Yes.
1: Um, sometimes the ink's still wet on the page, actually. <laughs> and also it changes while you're recording it. But there are sort of serious contemporary composers who we work very closely with. And they, you know, they're often writing new commissions. And then that's what that's what kind of more challenging music to play and, and to listen to. A conductor once said that contemporary music's like Brussels sprouts. You don't like it, but it's good for you.
0: Oh, that's uh,
1: good. So <laughs> uh, I thought it was quite funny. He said that in a, in a concert, you know, uh, to sort of butter the audience up a little bit. So Beethoven 5 was new once.
0: And um, Lesmer, do you think it's helpful or off-putting to have to label the music?
2: well so it depends whom you're talking to because if you talk about contemporary music to an ordinary listener somebody who would come to a concert then i'm pretty sure the first thing that comes to their mind is something noisy scratchy and loud and it might really be off-putting most people when they come to concert unless they have very specific personal interest in contemporary music because they are conductors musicians composers or maybe they just find it exciting. Yes. Most people would find it a bit challenging to listen and to be present. But the thing is that maybe it's because um, mostly when we talk with contemporary music, we actually... Mostly mean these really new, unusual pieces, and we completely forget that contemporary music comes in all different sizes and shapes, and that we can have a very beautiful-sounding contemporary music, something like from, uh, you know, Gia Cancelli, for example. He wrote something quite beautiful, tonal, mm. but with lots of surprises, and you would not deny it contemporary, but it's really enjoyable to listen to it. But at the same time, of course, we have these very noisy pieces and. Maybe not noisy even, but they are just trying to turn music into science a bit, Ah. mathematics and science. And then they try to explore all the possibilities of an instrument. And yeah, I find that when this starts happening and when people relate contemporary music term only to this then it might be a bit off-putting sure. to mention it to a listener, to audience member.
3: Really sorry, that a lot of that, lot of that noise is generated by me and Andy, <laughs> yes. so sorry about that.
2: <laughs> no, no, but you can't imagine what a violin can produce. Oh my God, if you just give us Forte Fortissimo and Sul Ponticello, that seems like a trend nowadays. All the composers really want to explore this possibility, Forte Fortissimo, Sul Ponticello, I mean, meaning playing close to the bridge. In my understanding, that's kind of a sound that should be coming out of a dentist's office more than a violin, but violin really can produce the ugliest sounds possible.
0: And Mark, I was going to come to you on that because playing pieces of music that, well, where science meets music and those experimental sounds, how is that for you as a trombonist? I remember you speaking to me on the first episode about, you know, playing loud and really, you know, getting the sound out there. Do you enjoy these new sounds that you get to make?
3: As long as they can be heard and there's a point to them. I mean, sometimes as wind players and brass players, we have um, some indications to like blow through the instrument without making tones and things. And a lot of that, really, you can't really hear and so there's sometimes some things that we're asked to do that maybe the composer might not have considered. Mm. But, again, there are some composers that write things that it's almost when you get on the stage, when you get to the, on the platform, if the rhythms are so complex and the notes are so hard that you practice it and practice it and practice it, and then when you, you get to the performance, you feel like, well, did it matter if I got it right yes. or not? And when it feels like that, whether it's, whew, I, I could have you know saved two weeks practicing then you feel a bit let (laughs) a bit let down so for me if if there's a point to it and if things lock in with other musicians and and you you can feel the sound bouncing off people then yeah when it's worthwhile there then it is kind of engaging and it's
2: enjoyable
0: yeah, I agree. In most situations, the composers are still living. They're probably in the audience when you get to perform <laughs> these pieces. Do they say, well, this is why I want you to play this here and this is why I want you to blow through the instrument with no tone? Are you privy to that information?
3: No, not, not really. When you can hear colours... You know, like we did the premiere of Brett Dean's Hamlet opera at Glyndebourne, some of the colours that he got, especially with some of the, the amazing percussion instruments that Andy was playing, and, and some of the was it the with the vibraphones with the sawn off sawn off tubes yeah. and, and things to get the quarter yeah. tones. I mean, some of that was so scary. The the sound in the mm. pit, and I know on on stage where Ophelia's kind of you know sort of, we heard you know she's kind of covered in blood, yes. she's kind of you know, clawing her face, and and the music that's happening around that time was just you you didn't need to see what was on stage to know there's something really really shocking happening.
0: Andy you had you were nodding away there with the memories of Glyndebourne have you got any uh any more eye-opening insights into playing contemporary music and not quite knowing where the piece is going?
1: The main thing for me is that probably Lassmer and Mark you know when they get a they're still going to be playing a trombone or a violin respectively. Yes. And the thing for percussionists is contemporary music is where the, the sort of lid comes off everything. And the problem is learning things on a basically a new setup. We did a piece by Tom Addis called Asila, which is a phenomenally brilliant piece. And it starts off with this pattern, this uh, uh, sort of harmonic pattern. It's kind of solo for the percussionist. And it would be kind of challenging on a marimba, but it's actually on tuned cowbells and the tuned cowbells, I mean, the top octave is about a foot long yeah. and the bottom octave is about six foot long because the bells get bigger and bigger. I didn't get the bells till the day of the first rehearsal, oh, nice. you know. So I had to learn this thing and I learned it on the marimba so I knew what notes and then I had to sort of kind of set up in the morning and think, oh, Christ, how am I going to do it? And I, you have to sort of put them around you, not in a line because there wasn't room to have a line of them. And then it's solo and then a couple of days later it's a concert. It's pretty terrifying. It's kind of the crazy way things work in London, that we don't, you know, really it would be nice to sort of all go on holiday for a, a month yeah. and sort of stay in a nice sort of cabin in the woods and learn this piece slowly. And the reason pieces like Tchaikovsky sound great, is not only because they're great compositions, but people have been playing them for years and years and they know it's out of the style and everything locks in perfectly and you can knock a Chike four together in, you know, in one rehearsal and play it brilliantly. Mm. Modern music is still a developing... Genre, and we're still grappling with new things. Yes. And sometimes, you know, the classic thing, Writer's Spring, you know, the first rehe- first performance of that in 1913 uh, or something, where there was a riot and people were sort of screaming and shouting. And, all and, you know, I should think the musicians in the pit were thinking, what the hell is <laughs> going is this? on? <laughs> you know, how's, what's the, how does this bit three sixteen seven? So I can't do you know. Yeah. And now, now, you could, you know, you could, if you sat the LPO down with the right forces and hadn't told them and gave out the right spring music, we could play it with a decent conductor. We could play that spot on straight away.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, it's a good point. And Lesma, I'm really interested in these techniques. Are there any techniques that you've seen sort of come up in your sheet music where you thought, I don't want to do this to my violin? That doesn't, that doesn't feel right to me.
2: When a violinist has a really expensive and good bow, they sometimes would make sure they're coming with their second bow. That's a cheap one. Ooh. Sometimes we have to do the lenos, meaning lots of long sections full of just hitting those strings with the, with the wood of the bow. So that's a bit of a problem wow. when you have a really nice bow. Also, some people sometimes bring in the second violins when there are lots of pizzicati to do, like very, very loud ones, because it's really bad for the violin. But generally, when it comes to violin playing a contemporary music, like this experimental contemporary music, this one only, not the, not the beautiful one. What happens is that, you know, we as violinists, we spend all these years at school and college, <laughs> our professors telling us every single day, it has to be a beautiful sound, a beautiful vibrato, play in the middle, has to be smooth and beautiful and clean and clear. And then we get them <laughs> and the closer it comes to 20th, 21st century, the further we have to go away from that. yes I mean, if I did something from a few pieces we played recently, if I did something like that in front of my professor at the college, I would be kicked out of the classroom, <laughs> obviously. (laughs) so all these years of studies actually it's for in a way for nothing when you get a really contemporary piece i mean because they expect us to do crazy things like yeah i mentioned already playing close to the bridge it seems like a trend nowadays then there is playing behind the bridge Ah. it's creating even uglier sound Ah. it's very squeaky and ugly and strong sound and you can't play it in piano you can only do it very very loud with lots of pressure then there is a new thing that's keeps coming up regularly is the br- you have to brush the violin fingerboard with a bow upwards downwards oh. like this like you're brushing something yes. and it creates this kind of like whispering sound without any actual tuning it's just an special effect and lots of slides and pizzicati and it's all over the place and sometimes you know every composer seems to want to come up with something new yes. because you know there are so many composers nowadays that in order to actually be accomplished and achieve anything or be noticed you just have to come up with something new and for violin it's like you can't even sight read a piece anymore yes. because you have to stop twice a line. You have to go back to the Find front the page to read what, you what to exactly, do. <laughs> exactly what exactly I'm supposed to do here. Because, okay, I once learned, so it's a glissando, it, or this means that, or you know, I learned what it means. Yes, but it doesn't mean the same for the other composer, it means something else.
0: Well, your words have probably been very comforting to many parents listening uh, as their children are picking up violins for the first time and they're hearing some of those techniques. <laughs> you know, you've got a yeah. virtuoso on your hands. Or Dad yeah. when you're listening
2: exactly contemporary music virtuoso. this is exactly <laughs> what I'm telling to my I sometimes teach children and children they are not really good at controlling where the bow goes yes. and they just keep going too low to the fingerboard or too yeah exactly to the bridge and I keep telling them you know unless a 21st century composer specifically writes you to go there, you are forbidden to go there. It's <laughs> you a have to put that disclaimer that. in there.
0: <laughs>
3: um, we did a Thomas Addis piece. I might have got the music out because his pieces are rewardingly difficult. Yeah, I actually. like that, they, rewardingly they, they, difficult. They, um, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, I'd never seen the time signature. I think it was... 2-3, or two, 2 over 3, or 4 over 6, yeah. or two, 2-6, two, six, six. you know. Uh, yeah. yeah. What it meant was, if you take, so let's say if you've got a 4-4 four, four bar followed by a 2-6 yeah. bar, it means that if you took two groups of triplet crotchets within the four yes. four bar and then took the speed of those triplet crotchets, then that gives you the pulse. So if you've got ba 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 ba. Yes, bar, yeah. You know, that's the speed of the bar. But actually as soon as we started playing it, it was like it makes
0: uh, sense, yeah, That makes sense, right.
1: I was gonna talk about that as well because I had um terrified violinists run up to me. It was um <laughs> I think it was Yang and, and Ninka, they actually ran up to me and said, because I'm a drummer you know, they said, oh he must know. It was like they'd got a letter from the council that they were going to have their water cut off or something <laughs> what are we going to do about this? They, they, I said look, calm, calm down, you know, I'm sure I'll be fine and I explained it but it's an interesting concept because we sometimes feel like a bit dense about it, but it's because we're, we're like, what's the word? Pioneers. We're the pioneers. We're the people who are seeing it for the first time and having to get a heads around, like the dudes in Paris in 1913. Yeah. And, you know, one day they'll look back and laugh at the fact that we were sort of struggling, <laughs> struggling with it. <laughs>
2: You know, I know a story that some around Handel's time, Bach Handel, somewhere, people were doing sight reading mostly, so there is a violinist, and mostly violin playing was around the first three positions, so we have lots of positions, we go up to like seven, eight, anything, practically anything as high as possible, but in that time, mostly everything would be only position one, two, three, and open strings, Mm. so that's we are talking about Baroque music here, and what happened, I can't remember exactly which composer now, but he wrote one note, that's a fourth position, just one note. And the violinist saw it, he was sight reading and he was absolutely shocked and he left. (gasps) Because for him to see a note in a fourth position was something like, how do you do that? It's impossible. (laughs) And nowadays we just play up to position eight and it should be Mm. fourth position is absolutely nothing for us. So yeah, you know, that's contemporary music also and for Baroque as well.
0: And so are you of the school of thought then that anything is possible? So if a piece of music comes in front of you and you think, I've never played that position before, or I've never played that way, played through the bell of my trombone before, you know, are you you, as a member of the LPO open to everything or are there limits? Are there points where you say, I I don't think that this is right,
1: Andy? Sometimes composers, it's becoming less prevalent, but Sometimes I used to write things that literally weren't possible. Mm. I mean, I remember one composer wrote sort of running semiquavers on the marimba, and you went right to the top of the marimba, and then the next semiquaver was right down the bottom starting again. Now, there's about a four and a half foot gap between those two (laughs) notes. So once I I got the composer over and said to them, look, this is a marimba, and look, that note is over there. And they said, oh, okay, yeah. And they changed the piece a bit. But... Interestingly for me, I feel sometimes a bit like a GP. You're busy sort of doing, you know, seeing patients every day, but you still have to keep up to speed with the latest in yes. advances in medicine. And so things like marimba technique, you know, there's I've got kids, students, I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but I've got students, <laughs> I teach at the academy and the college and things. I've got students who can play... The backside of the marimba, much better than me, because they practice it all day. Yes. And when I was a student, you know, me and Simon Carrington, who you know, yes. we were students together. We, you know, we were sort of, again, pioneers. We started playing marimba pieces, and people looked at us as if to say, what are you doing that for? Yeah, you Yeah, know.
0: yeah.
1: And there was another chap before us who was sort of laughed at because he wanted to place... Some marimba pieces, so that's happened. The explosion in marimba technique has happened since I left college, which is a bit catastrophic because <laughs> now composers come along and they write, Oh, yeah, blah, 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 all over the marimba. And I have to sort of think, Yeah, okay, so that there might come a point where I, I retire myself from <laughs> that, <laughs>
0: call not, someone in not for not that, solo. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: because it, be, it will become too specialist, because yes. it's strategy, you know, percussion is stratifying, and there's people who are specialists in that. Mm. And you, you know, I'm a bit more of the old jack of all trades, yes, so that,
0: point. yeah. That changes. It's a very good point.
1: When you say about the question
3: being, you know, if musicians ask to do things on their instrument, it's like can you mm. or, or can't you. We always refer to the right spring, but the opening of bassoon melody is so Absolutely. high and yes. so hard for them. And I can imagine the first the first time the bassoon player saying, "No, I'm not playing this because it sounds horrible." And he's like, "Well, yeah, that's yes. what I want."
2: Yeah. You know, talking about this thing about composers inventing like new techniques regularly, I think it's it's good to mention that LPO has a young composers scheme. So, and I've been like participating in the scheme one or other way for three years, first time as Fall Future First participant, And then two more years, I was leading the project, the last concert of the year, the Debut Sounds. Yes. And in those workshops and in those first rehearsals, you have this very unique chance of witnessing how the composing process happens because we are free to ask composers. So do you really mean this what's written here <laughs> are we really supposed to make this sound or play on this string and then the composer has a chance to come and say okay so can you play me how does it sound like and what would you prefer for example Yes. and this is a really nice chance for all of them to just discover music while they're still young so they never run into this problem that they're going to write a major orchestra piece and there is a, something completely unplayable so the young composer scheme is definitely helping to discover because I have had lots of questions so can I write like this for violin does it work actually and our first rehearsals always exactly they're happening exactly like that with James Macmillan for the last two years yes conducting it's always like a trio composer uh James Macmillan and the person asking a question and they're all three of us we try to decide what exactly is the best way to do the thing what the composer imagines so I think it's a good chance for everyone.
0: I have to note that at the time of recording, you are celebrating your one year anniversary uh, with the LPO. So a big congratulations to you. Yes, I am.
2: Thank you. (laughs) Yes. It's exactly a year since I started. I started January the 13th, 2020. It has been a very strange year because obviously my probation was mostly in a lockdown at home. (laughs) The easiest
0: probation (laughs) ever. The safest ever, safest (laughs) safest, Yes, (laughs) you passed it in that case. And Andy, how much. Do you think that technology uh, has a part to play in all of this? We're hearing about, you know, composers writing music for the instruments and the instruments can't play those notes. Do you think it's technology that's leading in that way or are they really imagining it as we sort of imagine how composers used to write back in the day, so to speak?
1: When we're all being cynical, sometimes we look at each other and say, I bet it sounded good on the computer. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, Sibelius is a brilliant thing, the Software. I mean, I had to play something really hard once on the. It was a, a double piano concerto by I think it was Elena Katz Chernin. Mm. Uh, no, it wasn't. It was. It doesn't matter. You can edit that out. But anyway, <laughs> there was this snare drum part that I couldn't get my head around. Right. It was so fast. And in the end, one of my students who was, or ex-students who was in the section, he came in one morning, said, oh, I I wrote your part into Sibelius and got Sibelius to play it back to me at the right speed. And it was really useful (laughs) because I could actually listen to this thing and think, OK, yeah, I can make that sound. It was just really difficult. So when we were talking earlier about them sometimes making mistakes or doing the debut sounds, I mean, we have to remember they have to learn their craft Mm. like we had to learn ours. Mm. Um, Young composers have got things to learn. Otherwise, you know, they'd be Richard Strauss straight away. (laughs) So I think they've got a lot of technological assistance now. They can write things on Sibelius. They can actually get the computer to play it to them. They'll get some idea of what they're up against Mm. or, or what they're producing in terms of the development of instruments i mean uh, there's not a lot you can do to a violin i think maybe trombones are probably easier to do some of the things and, than they would have been 100 years ago yeah. you know some apart from the string instruments i think the the other instruments are probably better
0: the modifications of the instrument. yeah, yeah. they can they yeah. can
1: deal with things you know flutes can have a b-foot joint if they so that and uh, from my point of view i mean as i say everything goes bonkers. I mean, we. Well, I, I don't know what's coming next. That's an <laughs> amazing thing. Keeps
0: you on your toes. But what about the audiences? How do they sort of, what is their palette for contemporary music that you've seen uh, so far on tour, Mark?
3: I think that the LPO's kind of USP has been for for quite a while, and that's thanks to uh, Tim Walker, our our old CEO, and Vladimir. Our USP is actually to, for want of a better word, to to challenge audiences a bit more. And I've got lots of friends that come to concerts, and they will come to see what we're doing. They will come because we're doing challenging yeah. things, and yeah, they might like yeah. it, they might not. But there was a piece, and the composer and name of it will, uh, and everything will. Oh, we're not gonna, <laughs> sure. I'm not going to name. However, I was on stage, and uh, the musician sitting next to me, uh, we, we both noticed very soon into the, the, the concert, and there may, may have been there may have been five or six hundred people in this concert, so it wasn't hugely well mm. sold anyway. Because I it was it was this, this whole piece was quite long. Um, and um we we saw after a few minutes we saw a couple of people stand up and and, and walk out oh, and it's dear. like, Ooh, that's a bit awkward. Yes. Um and, and then saw a few more people walk out. It's like, Oh that's ooh, oh dear and, and it and it it, it, a sort of little trickle led to a kind of a bit of a sort of stampede and, and, and myself and my colleague when, when anytime anyone walked out if he was playing I would kind of mark a little with my pencil just mark a little tick on the part and likewise if I was playing he'd mark it and we tallied up our results at the end we made sure that oh you got that one did you get that, that one I got that one Not funny. Yeah. And, and, and got to the end and we tallied up that 124 <gasps> oh, no! people walked
0: out during the performance yeah. <laughs> well that market research <laughs> might be quite uh, important for the composer you should give your score back I, just so you know.
1: I must tell you that the uh, professional term for contemporary music is squeaky gate. I mean, that's <laughs> what we've always, that's always been called.
3: So um, In Dutch, they call it piep dot kno. Oh, really? <laughs> on a matter <on> <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: But it, so, you know, that's part of the sort of language of musicians, you know, like, what did you do last night? Oh, we did chite for and a bit of squeak. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I think it's explaining to the audience and also not for pieces not to be too long.
0: Yes. I mean,
1: some people would walk out of Wagner's operas because they go on for hours now so i think if a piece is challenging and it's 45 minutes Mm. i think that's like too much for audiences these days i know i don't know what they do about if a composer wants to write that but also i'm a big fan of conductors turning around and talking to the audience say right we're about to play this piece why don't you listen out for this and the structure of this so they so they've got an idea and then they can really listen um, actively i remember years ago hearing about Somebody that used to, if they played a bit of Squeaky Gate, they would do it uh, twice. They'd do it at the beginning of the concert and then uh-huh. they play it at the end of the uh-huh. concert. So people got a chance to sort of hear it twice. Because, you know, we sometimes play pieces, you know, on a Monday morning you can start crashing through it and you're going, Jesus Christ, you know, this is... Yeah. But A, it gets better and also you get used to it. And sometimes by Wednesday you think, oh, it's actually quite good. Yeah. But then the poor audience come in and they, they've got no preparation and they just get it in the face... And then it's done. And understandably, some of them say, well, that was awful. It's a good point. And this is why, I mean, it takes decades for musical genres to come in. One of the big uh, genres in contemporary music is minimalism. Now, Mm. Steve Reich is a contemporary composer, but, I mean, you play his pieces and your hall is chock-a-block. I think it's beautiful music. Mm. It's highly complex music and it's it's challenging in its own way, but it's also very approachable because it's mesmeric and a lot of time it's people love it, you know. So it's not always difficult.
0: Yes, you to, know, to understand the, and to, yeah. to engage with. And Lasma, do you think that there are maybe two different types of audiences when it's a contemporary repertoire being shared? Is it a particular type of audience that you see coming in or is it just everybody?
2: Um, yes, I mean, definitely, because... You know, I'm myself, there was time when, uh, when I was a secondary school student, I really thought that, oh, I'm definitely not going to play that, that traditional repertoire. I'm more of a like, contemporary kind of a person. And I thought I'm going to spend my life possibly playing, discovering new pieces. And it's so exciting. And there were actually really good contemporary pieces at the time. I mean, I started my, you know, journey with contemporary music when I started playing with the Gidon Kramer's Chamber Orchestra Kramer at the Baltica and there are lots of pieces written for Gidon Kremer, and there are lots of pieces arranged specially for him. Mm. So I got very deep into that. I really liked there was lots of Gia Cancelli. Uh, for example, I also remember very, very interesting and good piece uh, by Lera Auerbach. She's a Soviet-born American composer. Mm. So she wrote this piece for Gitten Kramer, Il Sonio di Stabat Mater. So it's for violin, viola and the chamber orchestra. And it was based on Pergolesi's sabbat mata, Mater, but in a contemporary kind of way. And it was really, really impressive. Mm. And at the time I thought, you know, it's something what I would like to do. I would like to bring out these pieces and perform them. Like also Schnittke's Concerto Grossoff or two violins. It was a dream of mine to be able to play it at some point. Mm. Yeah, but at the moment I can definitely say I have developed more of a romantic soul and I definitely prefer (laughs) Wagner over all of that. But... Yes, if there is a very good contemporary piece, I'm very happy to listen to it. Mm. So I guess if an audience member is open to searching out exactly the interesting contemporary pieces to their taste, they Mm. can find a lot like... I can't imagine there would be an audience member who would not enjoy listening, even a Wagner fan or Mahler fan who would not enjoy listening to a piece we played recently. It's a violin concerto by Anders Hilberg, Bach material. So it was Bach at the base of it and jazz on oh. top of it. So it was really, really fun for the players, for the orchestra, for the solace. And I'm, I, I mean, we played obviously without audience. It was just, you know, just us recording yes. it recently. But I would imagine like a close to standing ovation from the audience because that's quite a piece. I mean, it's written just now recently and it's impressive and it's exciting. And if an audience member is open to discovering this kind of things, then, I mean, there's so much to listen to. It's not only the very loud music. That's why I think that LP is doing sometimes the really good things. LP is creating these small, like, minute long or maybe a bit longer kind of um, online, like, introductions for particular pieces. So if there is somebody who is interested in coming to a concert, they sometimes have a chance to listen something, somebody talking about the piece or some excerpts from rehearsals because then you can hear okay this piece actually you know I don't mind coming to it it might be interesting
3: I remember I don't think Vladimir Iovsky uh, would mind me saying this I won't make how many composer. sentences in uh, these uh, podcasts have started with that
0: <laughs> disclaimer go on
3: <laughs> well, oh, yeah, yeah well it was quite clear that there was a bit of clash of personalities between him and this composer and the composer wanted his his things going through and Vladimir being such an amazing musician and a musicologist he already knew how he wanted it to go and, and obviously as it evolved with musicians and stuff he's like yeah and he, he wants to get the most music out of it even if he isn't a, ma- a yes. fan of the piece he will try and get the best out of it it was quite clear that they really weren't getting on at all and I walked out for the tea break chatting to Vladimir and I just said to him I said oh you're getting on with so and so and Vladimir just said to me sometimes it is better when the
1: composers are dead <laughs> I must have tell you, something that happened to me in the LPO, but it was before I was a member, it was about 1988, right? So I was like a, a kid. That
0: was Mark, by um, the way, just yeah, in case yeah, you today? to know yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, it was 1988. I was, I was still a virtual student and I, we were doing a Messian opera, St Francis of Assisi, which is like five hours long. Hmm. And we were doing the rehearsals and I was, you know, I was about 21 or something. I had to play a thing called the geophone, which is a drum, quite a big drum, which is full of dried peas. Oh, wow. You know, so you swirl it round, and it's sometimes called a surf drum. As you swirl it round, as if you're, like, panning for gold, it makes this sort of swirling sound. Mm. It's called a geophone. And Messiaen, you know, Olivier Messiaen, the master, he he wrote for it quite a lot. It's quite awkward to play because, I mean, nowadays the, the skin on the top is clear, so you can see what's going on. But I had this old one, so you couldn't see where they were. And I was, you know, I was quite young. I was feeling a bit self-conscious about it. And, of course, I was a youngster, so I was given that to play because nobody else wanted to play. And we got to, the, got to lunchtime, and I was struggling with this bloody thing. And I was standing there, and I saw all the other lads go off for lunch at Henry Hall. And I suddenly became aware of somebody standing behind me, sort of looking over my shoulder. Yes. And after a while, I thought, oh, I've had enough of this. So I sort of turned round in order to say... Look, mate. This know, is not happening. Up it. Yeah. And I, and it was Messian. <gasps> and I sort of went, wait, what? Oh, hello, My <laughs> maestro. <laughs> and he just he looked at me and he just said, again. Oh. Like that. So I stuck. I was stuck there for about ten minutes, <laughs> <trying> <laughs> <to> <laughs> having a a geophone lesson from Messian. And I was a kid. I, I kind of recognised him, obviously. So. That thing about having the composer there, sometimes it is a problem because they do do sort of get involved with things. And a lot of them are approachable. And, you know, somebody like Brett Dean or Mark Antony Turns, you can go up and say, look, this, that and the other. And they're they're very approachable and they're really collaborative and it's Mm. brilliant. But... um, yeah, that was an example where that I just very kept, kept, me, kept me trap shut and kept playing. You know.
0: <laughs> oh, that was really, really great. So lovely to hear your insights, and thank you for sharing those anecdotes and stories as well. I won't forget um, some of those. It's been lovely hearing from you, uh, Lasma, Mark, and Andy. Thank you for sharing with us.
1: Thanks, Yolanda. Thank
0: you, Yolanda. See, see you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Andy Barclay, Lassma Taimena and Mark Templeton for their insights in what it's like to play contemporary music as a musician in the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Please get in touch using the hashtag OffstagePod. And thanks so much for listening.